Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Thank you, Elliot. Man, I'm so excited to be here with you guys in Southern California. It's just a totally different vibe out here. I'm from Springfield, Missouri, and it's just way different. And I like it. You know, it's just like meeting your guys as pastors, Pastor Tom and Annette, uh, you know, just getting to talk to them a little bit and hear their heart and Pastor Brett on the phone and conversations with him. I'm excited for what God's going to do in your guys' church. Um, because as I travel the nation, I, I get to see how God's presence really does follow the heart of a leader. And when you have leadership that has a heart for the presence of God, it's really cool what he can do in a city with a church that seems really insignificant, like how can one church really make a difference? Um, and I've just seen time and time and time again that it's not about the, the size of the church. It's not necessarily even about the location of the church. It's about the heart of desperation that is set by the pastors and the leaders. Um, and it's just been so cool even just to spend a, just a few moments with you guys and, and just to see your heart. Like it's so evident. You know, from the moment I, I met you and got to talk with you and, and Pastor Brett on the phone as well, uh, you guys are in a good church. You guys are in a good church. This isn't a church that just wants to go through the motions. This is a church that wants to impact a city. And that's what we've been called to do. So, so excited to be here. I have my wife here with me. Uh, she grew up here in California. Yeah, you can clap for her. Come on. She's... Alicia, we met out here um, probably 15 years ago now. We have two boys. I think we have a picture, actually, of our, of our family. Um, if you want to throw that first picture up, maybe. No picture. Okay, that's okay. Um, so, you know, we have two boys. We have a, an eight-month-old, which is just fun. <laughs> and then we have a three-year-old, which is even funner. -er -er. And our three-year-old is super, super independent, okay? So he is like his own little man at three years old. And his parents, you're like, yeah, I want you to be independent, just not right now. You know what I mean? Like, be independent one day, but when we're trying to, like, teach you things and, and talk to you, don't be independent. Just listen to us right away. But he is very independent. He is, he is just full of energy. He'll go on these sprees where he just talks for, like, 20 minutes, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating for 20 minutes, and we're just like, uh-huh, yeah, great, son, that is, and you know, he's like into like animals, and he knows all the, he's like, dad, did you know that the sperm whale can jump in the air, and it's the biggest, it makes the, and he just knows all these different things, and it's like, that's kind of cool, right, like, I want to encourage that, but I don't need to hear about a sperm whale for 20 minutes, you know, and it's just kind of the same thing, but he's just so like independent, so much energy, and it's been awesome. Uh, just to be a, a dad. I feel like you learn so much about Jesus once you become a father, you know, and so I'm, I'm definitely in that season right now where we are just learning that, and uh, Oliver, our three-year-old, is kind of in this stage right now, you know, he's potty training, and so anytime he goes to the bathroom, we get real excited for him, you know, anytime he's like, hey, I gotta go potty, like, it's like, oh, yeah, that's awesome, dude, let's do it. You know, we have a little kid toilet for him that, that's just his toilet, and we have a bag of candy. When he goes to the bathroom, he gets a little piece of candy. Sometimes he'll fake it, you know, he'll be like, hey, I got to go potty, and then he'll just go, mm, candy. 
and like nothing comes out. We're like, well, dude, you have to actually do something, you know, in order to get the candy. We pretty much have peeing down. Like at this point, he pretty much pees on the toilet, and this is probably way too much information. You guys are like, I don't care about any of this, but this is just the season he's in. And we get excited with him and, and pump him up, like, good job, buddy. You know, like, pooping, we're getting there, okay? So really what he does right now is he holds his poops till the end of the day. And once we put a diaper on him for bedtime is when he goes poop. So any parents out there that have tips, please come talk to us afterwards uh, because we don't know what to do. It's like a half an hour every night before bed. He will take a poop in his diaper, and he's held it all day because he doesn't want to go on the potty. But what he's been doing recently is anytime, like, in public, it happened a few months ago, we were at a restaurant, like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. He's like, oh, Dad, can I come with you? And I'm like, sure, buddy, you got to go too? He's like, no, I just want to come with you. I'm like, all right, dude, let's do it. Let's go to the bathroom. So we're at this restaurant, I go to the bathroom. There's, there's, when we get in there, there's a guy in the stall, you know, I'm just having to use the, the urinal. And so he's just standing behind me, just, it's really strange, he's just kind of like waiting. Like, he's waiting for something. I'm like, what is, what is he waiting for? Well, I start to go to the bathroom, and from behind me, he goes, Yeah, Dad! You're doing awesome! Good job, Dad! Keep going! Like, he wanted to encourage me like we encourage him. I was at this youth rally getting ready to go because he's just learned kind of the tone and what should we do it, right? And so he's just started saying things that don't make sense to using the bathroom. So we were at this youth rally and same situation. He wanted to go with me. I start to go. He goes, wow, dad, your pee looks really yummy. I'm like, son, we don't say that. Like, that's not how we encourage each other when we go to the bathroom. But it's just the season he's in right now. Hopefully he never grows out of it because when I'm like 80 years old, I might need that encouragement, you know, like, <laughs> dude, come to the bathroom with me. I need, I need some encouragement. Let me pray. Let's get our minds off the toilet and onto the word of God. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much just for who you are in our lives. God, thank you that you are personal and intimate with every single one of us, that you're not a far off, distant God that you are involved in each and every one of our lives, and that you've called us to make an impact on the culture around us. God, I pray that my message and my speaking would not be with persuasive words of wisdom. Let it be a demonstration of your power, Holy Spirit, so that our faith in this room would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on your power and your authority and what you can do. In your name, amen. Amen. Mark sixteen fifteen. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel message, the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus, like that is our responsibility. A lot of times in church we can read passages like this and scriptures like this and think, oh yeah, that's really good for the, for the church leaders, that's really good for the, for the pastors and the leaders. They need to proclaim the gospel message. But really, in reality, Scripture is telling us that every single believer on planet Earth has a mandate from heaven, and that is to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. It doesn't, it doesn't start this passage and say, if you are a pastor or if you are a leader, you need to go. It's just an open mandate. 
It's just an open, it's an open call for every single one of us that claim to be a Christian. That we have been called to go. That we have been called to be missionaries to our sphere of influence. Whatever that looks like, right, it's not going to be the same for anyone in here. God has given each and every one of us a unique sphere of influence. And our responsibility is to own that sphere of influence. Our responsibility is to be missionaries to that sphere of influence. Our responsibility is not just to go with the flow and to go with what is comfortable, but really begin to to take ownership of what God has given us. Every single one of us. There's not a single believer that gets the luxury of just sitting on the sidelines. There's not a single one of us in this room that just gets the privilege of, of just being the cheerleading squad. Right? And, and so often it's so easy in church to say that's for pastors or missionaries. I will, I will give to support them, which is important. But a lot of times we, we kind of use our money as a crutch. A lot of times we, we use the resources that God has given us and say, yeah, I'll just give it, and, and, and then they can do that. But in reality, God is calling every single one of us to go and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Every single one of us. And you might look at that scripture like I do and think, wow, that's, that's really big. Like, to the whole creation? Like, is that really possible or is that just like a verse to kind of get me pumped up? But then you read in Ecclesiastes where the Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. So what this means is every single person on planet earth is looking and longing for Jesus. He has set eternity when he created you, when he fashioned you, when he formed you, when he knit you together in your mother's womb. There was a little homing beacon that he put inside of you. Every single person on planet earth is longing for Jesus. And we can look at culture and we can look at our society and we can look at the world today and say there's no way they're longing for Jesus. We can look at what's going on in in, in our hometowns, in our communities, in our school campuses, in our workplaces, and we can say there's no way. Like that, that scripture, it must be off. Because this culture is so far gone, there's no way they're looking for Jesus. Well, they're actually looking for Jesus with every party that they go to, with every hookup that they have. They're looking for Jesus as they're trying to climb this corporate ladder and use money to fill that void. Every single individual on planet earth is longing for Jesus. Which for me, like, I get excited then. Because I'm like, okay, cool, like God gave us this mandate to go for every believer that we need to go and spread the gospel. We need to go and proclaim the good news to all of creation. And that follow-up verse of he has set eternity in the hearts of man, what that means is when I go, what I am bringing, everybody is searching for. I'm not a used car salesman. Right? Like I'm not selling Cutco knives. I'm not going and, and bringing in my, my Kirby vacuums trying to convince people that they should buy it. 
Scripture tells us that you are called to go, and when you do, humanity is searching for what you are carrying. Humanity is longing for what you have inside of you. They are desperate for the Jesus that we carry. So we're not going to go. It's it's not a matter of going and, and trying to beg people and convince people. When they see the real, authentic Jesus inside of you, not religion, but Jesus, then it will change their hearts towards him. And they'll say, wait a minute, that's exactly what I've been searching for. That's exactly what I've been looking for my entire life. It's so sad to me as you see individuals who are 60, 70, 80 years old, and they've gone their entire life without ever knowing Jesus. Man, can you think about that? Like, I don't even, I don't even want to think about what my life would look like without Jesus. A few years back, I, we lived in Sacramento for 10 years. And the, the, the homeless population there is really, really bad. It's even gotten worse and I was driving one day to church, and, you know, you can just become so familiar with something that it just kind of, it's part of it, right? And so I'm driving, and, and there's always people asking for money. And I remember this one time just thinking, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought it in my heart. And unfortunately, God knows your thoughts. I wish, like, that was just my private place, you know, where I can think whatever I want. <laughs> But I thought it in my heart, I thought, man, this is, like, these homeless people, it's just so annoying, like, what are they doing? And God spoke to my heart, he said, John, what would your life look like if you didn't know me? I was like, wow, I don't even, I don't even want to think about that. I don't, I don't know what my life would look like if I didn't know Jesus. And every single day, you guys are surrounded with individuals that don't know Jesus. And the church has kind of taken this approach of like, we don't want to ruffle feathers, so we're just going to kind of try to blend in. We're going we're to kind of present like a blended in Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, like, oh yeah, we're just, we're Christians. We probably don't tell anybody that. We really don't even probably live like it on the weekdays, but we go to church on Sundays. Sometimes the worship is really good, and, and, and we worship, we lift our hands, and we can get so comfortable in just coming to church and going out and living our everyday lifestyle. In reality, that is not what Scripture has called us to do. Scripture has called us to make a difference where God has planted us. Like, this is your city. You're not just here on accident. This isn't just Pastor Tom's city. This isn't just Pastor Brett's city. This is your city. This is your community. And really, like, you're going to have more influence in the community than pastors ever will. Because you're in it every single day. And I truly believe with all my heart that culture, when we look at culture today and we see just the angst between culture and the church... And now culture is just done. Culture is just done with the church. They're not done with Jesus. They're done with religion. 
Religion says, I just show up every Sunday. I just go through the motions. I'm just kind of getting by. I'm just playing the part. That's what society is done with. They're done with religion. They're done with individuals who claim to be followers of Christ, who go on Sundays and Wednesdays. But when they get out the door of the church building, they just get on with their everyday lifestyle. And that's not what we've been called to do. We have been called to impact culture. We have been called to change culture. Every single one of you in here today is a carrier. You're an ambassador of heaven. And everywhere you go, you are bringing heaven with you. And you have been strategically placed where you work, where you go to school, where you go to coffee shops. You have been strategically placed to make an impact. And when you and I as individuals, when we can collectively, when we can collectively as the body of Christ, that's what I love about this. Like God created it in such a beautiful and unique way that it's an entire body. That we all have different parts. We all have different responsibilities. It's not going to look the same as the person next to us. There's not a greater one or a lesser one. Just because there's, there's pastors and missionaries and evangelists doesn't mean their call is any greater than your call. Like they are equal calls and we all make up the body of Christ. And when we can individually pursue the call that God has uniquely put on our lives, when we can individually own what God has given us, when we can individually say, I'm going to pursue my call, whatever that looks like, then collectively, as the body of Christ, cities can be one for Jesus. When we can individually own what God has given us, our sphere, our realm of influence, if it's one individual... If it's 25 people, if it's an entire workplace, maybe you're a CEO. What has God given you? And if you can own that, then collectively, as the body of Christ, we will see cities one for Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What scripture is telling us here is regardless of your background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your gender, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your socioeconomic status, when it comes to the body of Christ, we're all equal. When it comes to the body of Christ, we've all been given a call. That there's not a single individual in this place this morning that was a mistake. That there's nobody in here that just gets to play it safe and say, well, that's for somebody else. Because a, a body functions best when it functions together. And if we really want to see God move in this city, then we individually have to chase the call that God has placed on our life. And collectively as the church, collectively as the church, I truly believe we will see nations one.
for Jesus. But it starts with you and I as an individual. It starts with us owning our call. You see, the, the problem a lot of times in our American society is we just get so comfortable. We get so comfortable. Everybody's guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Everyone's guilty of, of kind of chasing that, that American dream and just becoming so comfortable and, and okay with status quo. We get so, it's like we, we build our lives to make them as comfortable as possible. When, when we really think about it, desperation isn't comfortable. Desperation, to have a, a heart and a mindset and an attitude of desperation, you're going to have to do things that aren't comfortable. You're going to have to do things that, that maybe don't make human sense. You're going to have to do things that stretch you and push you and challenge you. But we're so, we're so accustomed, we're so just kind of trained in a sense to do everything in our lives to be as comfortable as possible and that's not what we've been called to do as believers as believers earth is not our prize earth is our mission and heaven is our prize like our only reason to be here on planet earth it's to go after the call that God has placed on our life it's to go after our mission field that he has given us and I know a lot of times when we think of mission field, we think of, of foreign countries and, and, and places that are far off. And it's been so cool just talking to Pastor Brett leading up to this. He's like, it's really cool how God's been doing it this month with our, with our mission focus. Because the, the first week we had CityServe, who is a local California base. This week is, is Youth Alive, which is a local. So I think God's speaking something to your church. Which it's really cool because when God speaks something to your church, that means he's ready to do something. Right? Like he's not just going to speak it and then just leave. Like if he's trying to prep your hearts for something, it's because he wants to see this city one for Jesus. And he wants to start right here in this church. I, I hate flying like with a passion. And it's what I do for a living. Like, hate it. Airplanes, airports, it's just not, it's not fun. There's a couple reasons it's not fun. The first one is I'm germ aware. Some people call it a germaphobe, a germ freak. I call it germ aware. I'm aware of the little devils that are around me that want to steal, kill, and destroy my life called germs. So airports are not a fun place to be, right? Especially airplanes. Ugh. Like, so, like, I'm the guy that wipes the seat down with a little wipey. You know, I get to my seat. I take out the wipey. People are behind me. I don't care. Like, I'm going to wipe my seat down. Like, I was wanting to wear a mask on airplanes before COVID. <laughs> like, for real. I had a conversation with my wife way before COVID. Like, I think I'm going to start wearing a mask. And she's like, no, you cannot. You cannot do that. But I just feel safe in my, you know, like, just little clean bubble. So I don't like airports. The second reason I don't like them is because I get motion sickness. Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. If I don't take Dramamine, I am, like, guaranteed throwing up on the airplane. Like, sometimes it happens in cars. You know, it just depends on who's driving. But almost always it's going to happen on an airplane. And I remember this time I'm flying home from Sacramento to Michigan where I grew up. 
It was over Christmas break. And I was a college student, and I didn't have much money at all. And I get to the airport, and I realize I don't have Dramamine. I keep it in this, I, my backpack's right there. I can go and show you where the little Dramamine bottle is in my backpack. It's there. So I get to the airport, I open it. The bottle's there, but it's empty. I'm like, okay, no big deal. I'm just going to go to the airport store and buy some Dramamine. Dramamine is really, really expensive at airport stores. If you didn't know, let me tell you, like really expensive. And I had $5 in my bank account with my little debit card. So I was like, okay, I can't buy Dramamine, but it's good. Like I'm going I'm to be fine. I'm just going to get on. The key is just fall asleep as soon as you can, and then you don't feel all the stuff, you know. So I'm like, I'm going to get on the airplane. Usually I'm the last one on the airplane because I don't want to get on there with all the germs. Um, this time I was like one of the first because I just wanted to get in there, get situated, and fall asleep. So I get on the airplane. I get in there. I get situated. I fall asleep. The plane is working perfectly. Well, we start to take off, and it is the worst turbulence I've ever experienced. Have you guys ever been on a plane with like really bad turbulence? Like really bad. Like you think you're going to die? Like, this was that. Like, the plane was flying, and then it felt like it just dropped 100 feet, like, instantly, right? Like, just crazy. I mean, the plane is just, dude, like, people are screaming for their lives on the airplane. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, I wake up to a lady next to me, ah! That's what I wake up to. And I'm feeling, and the turbulence is just going nuts. And, and for those of you that get motion sickness, once it starts, it's over, right? It's just a matter of time. So I wake up, people are screaming, the plane is like going up and down and all around, and it's crazy. Things are flying everywhere. And I start to feel it. I'm like, oh no. You know, the little fastened seatbelt sign is on, a little ding. Like, the, even the, the flight attendants are all strapped in. Like, nobody is walking around. I'm like, I got to get up. Like, I got to go to the bathroom. Like, I am going to puke right now. And the little doggy bag in front of me is not going to be able to contain what's going to come out of me. So I get up. I unbuckle. I start walking to the bathroom, you know, and it's still, like, going nuts. The flight attendants are like, sir, sir, please take your seat. You know when you're sick, like, nothing else really matters? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I do not care about this lady who's yelling at me right now. Sir, please take your seat. I'm walking. I'm trying to get to the bathroom as the airplane is going up and down. I make it to the bathroom. The four-hour flight from Sacramento to Grand Rapids, I am face in the toilet the entire time. The entire time. Now, as a German-aware person, <laughs> my entire goal on an airplane is just to stay in my bubble. Like, I never use the airplane bathrooms, ever. Like, it's not a space that I ever want to be in. I just want to stay comfortable in my little bubble. But what I learned in that moment, that desperation is stronger than personal preference. What I learned in that moment, that even though my personal preference was to never go into an airplane bathroom, even though my personal preference was to stay comfortable in my little bubble, the desperation that was coming out of me, literally, 
The desperation had my head in the toilet for four hours. Like, just on the ground. You know, it wasn't like a, a cute puke. I didn't get to wipe the seat down. I didn't get to sanitize the bathroom. Like, I was there, head in, all the way down. Like, just, you know, laid out. Like, like in between pukes, I'm resting my head on the toilet. You know what I mean? Like, I know, way too many details. But what I learned in that moment that a heart of desperation will always outweigh my personal preferences. And as believers, it's the same for you and I. That if we don't have a heart of desperation for God to win our city, then we're going to stay comfortable in our bubbles. If we don't have a heart of desperation, it starts right here. It starts in you and I. A heart that says, God, the only thing that matters in my city is that it's one for you. A heart of desperation that says, I'm going to put aside my personal comforts. I'm going to put aside my personal preferences. And I'm going to go after the things of God. I'm going to go after this city. I'm going to have a desperation inside of my heart that I have been called to reach this city. I have been called to reach the realm and the sphere of influence that God has given me. But it will never happen if we stay comfortable. It will never happen if we stay comfortable. I truly believe that complacency is the killer of all things godly. Complacency, apathy, being okay with just going through the motions, being okay with just sitting in church on Sundays, and then we go out to eat afterwards. It's just kind of a family experience. Which I'm not saying food's bad. Food is not of the devil. But you guys know what I mean. The, the mindset, the mentality, the heart of we're just going to do this. This is just what we do. It's not who we are. Culture is sick and tired of complacent Christians. They're not sick and tired of passionate Christians. They're not sick and tired of people who are desperately pursuing the things of God, who are willing to take a stand in a culture that is falling. I love this quote. I don't know who it's by, but it says, do it with passion or don't do it at all. Do it with passion or don't do it at all. They did this study a few years back where they ranked the top 10 most influential men in the history of our nation and of our world. And it was this, this secular group. It took like a year and a half to compile all the information. They did all this study, all this research. And they came out with this, this top ten list of most influential men in history. Jesus was on there, and he was ranked number three. And they had an explanation for, for each of the individuals that was on there. And when it got to Jesus, they started out by saying Jesus should have been number one. The impact that he has left on, on this world, the number of people who claim to follow him today is unmatched. The fact that there's millions and millions and millions of people every Sunday that go to a church to worship him, like he has by far left the greatest impact. They said the reason that we had to put him number three is because the people who claim to follow him today look nothing like the Jesus we read about in the Bible. 
So obviously he couldn't have been that effective. Again, this is a, a non-believers that did this. And all they had to go was the scripture that they read of who Jesus was and the people that they see in culture today that claim to be Christians. If you're not going to do it with passion, then just don't do it at all. Because you're, you're tainting the name of Jesus. Half-hearted believers are tainting the name of Jesus, and it's hurting the church. Like, really, I'm not, I'm not saying if you're not going to be perfect, don't do it at all. That's not what I'm saying. Passionate believers aren't perfect believers. We're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to sin. We're still going to struggle. We're still going to have hard times. But when we have the mindset that Jesus is the priority, that nothing else matters on planet Earth outside of Jesus, that if I'm not here for Jesus, then just take me home now. If I'm not here for Jesus, if I'm not here to make an impact, I'm not here just to go with the flow, just to swim upstream. I'm here to change culture. I'm here to have an impact in my society. And God, if I'm not going to do that, then I don't want to be here. I want to be in heaven. I want to be home where my, my heart is longing to be. But we need individuals who are willing to take a stand, who are willing to say nothing else matters in our life. Revelations 3, 15 through 16 says, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. How I wish you were one of the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. Scripture used the word vomit too, okay? So it's not just me telling a story about an airplane. I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. The Bible also says that there's going to be many who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? We prophesied, we healed, we did all these things in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. What scripture is telling us is it's not about religion. It's not about doing all the right things and saying the right things and going through the motions. It's about a heart of desperation. It's about having a relationship with the creator of the universe that nothing else matters in my life outside of Jesus. Nothing else matters in my life outside of Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 5.14, sorry guys, I'm all over the place with my scriptures. Thanks for keeping up. Matthew 5.14, it says, you are the light of the world love this passage. I feel like it's the greatest compliment that we get to see in scripture. Where the Bible is telling us that you are the light of the world. And I believe it's one of the greatest compliments because we look in, in John 9, 5 where Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So literally what scripture is telling us is we have taken the place of Jesus on planet earth. That God's design and his plan to redeem this earth only happens through you and me. There's no plan B. 
It doesn't happen outside of that. Obviously, it's only through Jesus and because of him, but he chooses to use us, that you are the light of the world. And as the church, we can so often just get mad at culture. Man, they're so far gone. They're so dark. It's like my, my mindset with that homeless person. We can get mad at the dark for being dark. They're just so far gone, and we'll get on Facebook and, and tweet about it, how bad it is and how crazy it is, and then another Christian will get on there, and then we start battling and fighting. Man, what a good picture of the church that the world sees Christians battling and fighting. That's another sermon. The Bible says you are the light of the world. We can't be mad at the darkness for being dark. At some point, we have to look at the light and say, why haven't we shined in dark places? Because the responsibility is on us. The responsibility is on you and me as believers to say, I'm going to own what God has given me. I'm going to passionately pursue the call that God has put on my life. We look throughout scripture and we see story after story after story of individuals who owned their call, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three dudes in an entire nation who said, we're not going to bow to the image and the statue that you have created. And they were thrown into this fiery furnace. Moments before they were thrown in, King Nebuchadnezzar gave them one more chance. Hey, if you just bow to this, to this statue, ultimately, if you just bow to culture and if you just go with the flow and, and do what everybody else is doing, then we will not throw you into the fiery furnace. Pastor Brett talked about this during worship. Their response to the king in that moment was, we know that our God can deliver us from your fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow to the statue that you have created, O King. Listen to me, church. What he was saying in that moment, what these three guys were saying in that moment is the call that God has placed on my life is more valuable than my physical life. What they were saying in that moment, the reason that God created me and formed me and fashioned me and knit me together in my mother's womb, that purpose that is on my life is more valuable than my physical life here on earth. What they were saying in that moment is even if I have to die, even if I have to give up my physical life to fulfill the call, then it's worth it. It's more valuable than my physical life. And until Christians, as believers, until we can have that mindset that the call that God has placed on you is more valuable than your physical life. Until we can have that mindset, we see it with Daniel, right, who was thrown into the lion's den because he refused to stop praying to his God culture was saying don't pray he said no I'm going to keep praying he's thrown into the lion's den God closes the mouths of the lions he comes out totally untouched Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego the king looks in and there was another standing in the fire with them they came out of that fire the fire was so hot that the guards that were bringing 
them to the fire were dying on the spot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire untouched. David and Goliath, I could go on and on with individuals who said, I'm going to chase my call regardless of what the circumstances around me say. I'm going to take a stand. And there's some of you in here this morning, they're like, yeah, that, that sounds great. And again, maybe that's for somebody else or that's for pastors. Like, I'm not qualified to do that. You don't understand. You don't know the family that I'm from. You don't know the mistake I just made yesterday. Like, that, that sounds cool, but that's for somebody else. That's not for me. I'm not qualified to do what you're talking about. I'm not qualified to chase after my call because I'm just a messed up human being. Join the club. We see time and time and time again in Scripture individuals who weren't qualified, but individuals who changed the world. Scripture is written. Scripture is written of individuals who are not qualified to do the things of God. Moses stuttered. David was the grunt. John Mark was undependable. Jose married a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon had too much money. Abraham was too old. Timothy had ulcers. Joseph was a nuisance. Paul was ugly. Just straight up. It's in, he's just ugly. Peter was a coward. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Jesus was homeless. Naomi was a widow. Jonah was disobedient. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas were doubters. Jeremiah was suicidal. Elijah suffered from depression. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses, not to mention David. John the Baptist dressed funny, looked funny, and he smelt funny. Scripture is full of individuals that were not qualified to make an impact on their culture. But what they understood, that it's not about my qualification, it's about my willingness to go. It's not about my qualification. Because none of us will ever be qualified to do what God has called us to do. But it's about my willingness to go. Matthew 28, 18 says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go. It doesn't say because you're fully qualified. It doesn't say because you have it all together. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go. You see, what these individuals began to realize is it's in the going. It's not in the qualifications. It's the going that releases the authority of God. What it is saying here in Scripture is because no weapon formed against you will prosper, go. Because I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail go because the grave could not hold me and death could not stop me go all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me therefore go every single one of you have been given a sphere of influence every single one of you have a calling that God has placed on your life and if you can individually pursue that collectively as the church we can see cities and nations and regions one for Jesus you guys could stand. We're just going to go into a quick time of worship. And I want you just to be praying. Ask the Holy Spirit, what does this look like for me? 
It's going to be different for every single person. What does this look like for me? What does my go look like? How do I apply this to my life? Maybe there's some things in your life that you have to give up, that you have to let go of. Maybe there's just boldness that needs to enter your life. But what does this look like for you? How can you have a true heart of desperation to go after and chase the things that God has called you to? Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.